Welcome back to Baytown Engage. Today we have Mr. Kevin Craven. Mr. Craven is a Baytonian. Roots run deep here, elementary, junior high, and high school. Mr. Craven also is the grandson of Mr. E. Cartwright. If you do not know who Mr. Cartwright was, he and eight other Baytonians petitioned the school board back in 1970, right after the integration of Lee High School, with eight requests for equality in select areas for the black students, resulting in six of those requests being rejected. So, Mr. Craven, besides being the grandson of a trailblazer, please share with us more about you. Well, I am a 1988 graduate of Robert E. Lee High School. I am a native of Baytown. I attended preschool at Little Carver. I attended elementary at Carver Jones Elementary. I attended junior high at Horseman. And of course, I attended and graduated from Robert E. Lee High School. How was it for you growing up in Baytown? Let's talk about your experiences as a elementary school, junior high and high school student in Baytown. I have a lot of fun memories of Baytown. I grew up in Oakwood, also known as Oak Edition, which represents the poorest Black community in Baytown. The memories that I have are quite fun. Growing up poor, we didn't have what I would say were the luxuries that other kids would have enjoyed. In fact, a lot of the forms of entertainment, should I say, came mm-hmm. from building basketball goals, building pool tables, assembling bikes from various old abandoned bikes that we would find in, in the neighborhood. So that was our mode of survival. That was our mode of being entertained and, and engaged as, as children in our community. And there were a host of us and I recall the games that we would play whether it's game called fake that we would play in the projects or playing basketball at Duke Hill Park or even playing basketball behind Carver Jones Elementary School. So there were great times that we enjoyed there. It's clear that your roots run really deep in Baytown and your experiences are many and different for some and similar for many people in Baytown. Looking at what's going on right now in 2020 with covid social unrest in the media, our own unrest and tensions in Baytown, school renaming, everything that's going on. Let's discuss your grandfather being a trailblazer and discuss what he and others tried to do 50 years ago for Black students. Let's talk about that experience with your grandparents and what he told you about those experiences. So my grandfather was one of the many amazing pillars in our community. My grandfather knew two things, right and wrong. There were no in-betweens with him. There was no ambivalence. Uh, He wasn't conflicted in his thinking. He was a deacon of the church we attended, which was Greater St. John Missionary Baptist Church, and he was a respected man. So when it came down to the matter of the community, He was one of many who were out front and wanting change. There were, between my grandfather and my grandmother, there were eight children. I know that the majority attended George Washington Carver. My mother started at George Washington Carver High School, but in 1966, she became one of several students who became the first to attend Robert E. Lee High School. So it goes without saying that having children who were part of an environment where racism 
racism was prevalent, bigotry was prevalent, hatred was prevalent. Because we know the history of of Baytown now. We know of the influence of the KKK. We know that people of color were hung in Baytown. So I think that played a great part in him being the man that he was, that was firm. He was very protective uh, in many ways of the children. I, even growing up in that household, did not have a lot of latitude as far as where I could go, the times that I had to be back at home. There were certain streets that I was not allowed to walk down up to 10th grade. But it says a lot about who he was and, and what he believed in and what he stood for. Did Mr. Cartwright ever sit down with you later on as you're growing up and share with you why those requests came up and how he felt about the rejection and how he felt about that entire time here in Baytown. Did he ever talk to you about those experiences? Well, one of the things to bear in mind, particularly in that community, is that there was what I would characterize, and this is just in character and just in conversations with my grandmother, a, a lot of the sentiment and things that I came to understand about Baytown and growing up with things I learned through my grandmother. What I gather from her conversations was that there was an attempt to not be too vocal about matters dealing with race in Baytown because in the words of my grandmother, they did not want to upset the white folks. So considering that climate, I personally don't see how it was possible for them to truly advocate in the manner that they would have liked to, that they would instead petition the school by way of letter, by having the signature of eight strong members of the community on the letter to be presented to the school board or to the school superintendent. And you can see that evidence through the write-up in the Baytown Sun. And that's how I would imagine it to be. It just, even in the 70s, it wasn't a time where Blacks could really be vocal and and speak out and, and be firm in their beliefs like we are today. That is interesting you brought that up. When you think about the South and the North and how minorities had to carry themselves and how they had to be very mindful in what they said, how they said it, how they looked. I think the younger generations, is hard for us to understand that because we never experienced that fully. People had to carry themselves and move in silence and move quietly. They couldn't ruffle the feathers and be too vocal and too bold back then. The consequences were much, much greater and totally different. They had to step with ease and be smart about it. They knew rejection and they knew the consequences of what they said and how they said it. Well, present day, or at least right now, of course, I am a member of the Baytown Gander Black Alumni Group. I was recently inducted or I was rather called upon by a childhood friend who is currently and also a member of the group to join. I've always been someone who is outspoken. A lot of me is basically a replication of my grandfather. I'm not someone who sees something that is wrong, something that's broken that needs to be 
fixed, that needs to be changed, that needs to be addressed, that will idly sit by and just watch it unfold or unfurl. It's always been in me. It's something that I've taught my kids that it's not enough to be a mere existence, that we all have a role to play, that we have to find a voice uh, to put our hands to things that will ultimately make a difference in the world. Because we know that racism is something that is not going to fix itself. I think the phrase now is that you have to be anti-racist. That has been my sentiment for as long as I can remember that it's not something that's going to fix itself by just ensuring that your children grow up to be upstanding members of the community and that they have a few white kids or a few Latino kids that they interact with, whether it's in their community or in school activities. You have to engage them. You have to have that conversation with them. And more important, we have to get past this thing of revised history that doesn't truly tell us what we've been through, what we've endured, where we've come from. That has been the greatest disservice to not just the community, but to the country as a whole. I fully agree with you. It must be taught and explained. We must be aware of all parts of our history, the good and the bad and the ugly, of course. It makes up and explains the current climate that we're in. History does repeat itself. And if it's not healed back then, it'll continue to repeat itself. That's correct. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're in a sea of change. Things have, there are events that have coincided in a way, starting with COVID. COVID has put us in a place where literally we've been forced to be still, to sit at home and not be caught up in the day to day, those things that we normally do in our lives. Added to that, we've seen the tragedies of Ahmaud Arbery, Michael Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, and there's a host of of others. And it's caused America as a whole to take a second look and reevaluate our position on what we call racism. And a majority of Americans now have arrived at a place where there's a concession and there's an understanding of exactly what's going on in the black community, the indifference that we suffer. And it's not just at the hands of local law enforcement, but it's in all walks of life. We've seen just a snippet of it through what has happened with law enforcement, but it's a much bigger picture. It is a much bigger picture. We Baytown, we're not exempt. I feel people must realize that we cannot just stay behind and watch life pass us by watch it happening, you know, COVID has brought the world to us and us to the world. We are totally exposed. We cannot hide our imperfections. You know, it's out there for the world to see right now. Yeah, but at the same time, 2020 is going to be probably one of the most notable years in history because so much has happened and we've lost so many. Yes, sir. But it's also a year and every year creates an opportunity in which we can change and we can embrace things that are wholesome. And just going back to what I alluded to earlier as far as the sea of change, you know, this is an opportunity where those who have had a tendency to 
be silent and not to speak up. What I would say is, hey, jump in the ocean. You will be surprised at how many people are swimming in the waters of change and trying to make the community as a whole a better place. But again, I recognize the same thing that I come to recognize with my grandfather back in the 70s, where there was a certain level of intimidation with saying things outside of the community that may not bode well with those who occupy spaces outside of your immediate neighborhood. Back in that time, there was a wine garden grocery store that was near Lee College. Yeah, right over here. Yep. <laughs> there was yep. there was a uh, Legis drugstore in Pelly. There was a Sears Roebuck that was next to the wine garden. All of those places were establishments where my grandfather could walk in and get credit on his name. My grandfather didn't start carrying credit cards <laughs> until I believe back in 1979, somewhere around that time. But I would often go places with my grandmother and my grandfather when they were going to what we call we called it going to town. And I saw how he interacted with Mr. Leggett at Leggett's Drugstore. You know, any prescription that he needed for himself or for his wife, he got it on his name. Mr. Leggett, oh, Mr. Cartwright, you can pay me later. Don't worry about that right now. It was a different time then. But you can also see with that how that could easily be changed by just being outspoken. Just one word or a statement that doesn't quite align with the values of those outside of our community. And we know what those values are. Baytown is simply, in my mind, in my opinion, in a lot of ways, is a microcosm of the South. You hear through some of the things that are expressed in terms of outsiders interfering in our business. That was the epitome of of the South when it came down to governance and the government. That was the reason why they succeeded. The reason why we were, well, one of other reasons why we went to war. But it's those types of statements that lets you know that outside of your community, there was something that could be a make or break for you and your livelihood. My grandfather also worked for Exxon Refinery. Worked there, I believe, 35 years. Retired from there. So it was a tightrope, to say the least, that he had to walk. We all do it. We all know if someone is from here. We know if someone was born here, raised here. I mean, it doesn't matter what we look like. We tend to know, are you from Baytown? You're not from Baytown? You know, Baytown's a big melting pot. We all come from different places and it's, it shows. And it, I wish our community was much more fluid in thinking as we are a big mixture of so many different people. So right now, there is an alumni of students who attended Robert E. Lee and mm-hmm. one's a teacher. There's Anita Johnson. There's Greg Shedd, Greg Young, Joanne Theory, Joseph Theory, Kevin Shedd, Mike Wilson and Rosemary Calico Hobson, who is a retired educator. Yes, absolutely. I was in her drama class. Yep, and I was in her class as well. I took mm-hmm. technical theater. I wasn't a great. I love. I I enjoyed the technical side of the lighting, yeah, all that good stuff. So we are part of a group that's fighting and trying to promote change within. 
GCCISD for starters renaming Baytown Lee we don't have to <laughs> rehash who Lee was I, I think we've come to know quite well who Robert E. Lee was and, and what he stood for and the things that he's done but what I would say is this when it comes down to memorializing individuals and adorning their names on public buildings that our children and our grandchildren attend. It's typically a cerebral process. There's there's thoughts, there's considerations that's put into it. Robert E. Lee represents the thoughts and the sentiment of the 20s when the KKK, of course, was prevalent in Baytown. And he does not represent the community, nor does he represent anything that you would align with education or a place of higher learning. Robert Lee was a person who stated before the U.S. Congress that he felt that blacks were inferior to whites in learning. That alone for me is a deal breaker. So in today's age and in this society, we have a new set of norms. There are there are things that we embrace in this society that retroactively we can apply to anything that came before us in correcting. So those are my thoughts. I, I'd say that that also represents the thoughts of the group as a whole. And so it's time to change. It's time to rename the school. I, growing up, also, I would add, in going into ninth grade, I played in band and I quit the band because I did not want to play Dixie. I didn't fully understand the things that I've come to learn about Robert E. Lee now, but I grew up just feeling that it was not, it was something just not right about it. I recall reciting the song, Oh, I Wish I Was in the Land of Cotton, Old Times There Are Not Forgotten. And it just didn't, it, it just did not ring with me. It was something that just didn't resonate. And so for that reason, I quit the band. There were not many black girls who were lining up to join Lee Brigadier. Yeah, we after school would have fights with a group of kids that were called the Kickers. So it amazes me that you can look through social media and other groups. There's there's a group that I won't name, but there's a group that's fighting to preserve the name of, of the, the, the school. And there are individuals within that group that says that they never saw or experienced racism. And to me, racism is a product of the lens through which you see the world. It's It can be overt, and there are those who don't see see anything and it can be subtle and, and in the same regard. They don't see anything because they don't want to see it. That is absolutely correct. And bear in mind, I believe this is the third time that we are going before the school district asking for the name of the school to be changed. So that represents an ongoing fight and struggle in addressing something where voices have been either shoved aside or just simply ignored. And it's nothing new. I mean, Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves, that came with struggle. The Civil Rights Act, that came with struggle. Brown versus the Board of Education, that, that came with struggle. So when it comes to those 
things that we deem as being righteous and those things that are noble and for a good cause. We're no strangers to those those fights and those struggles. I, and I tell people, you know, I'm battle I, I'm, I'm battle tested and I'm battle ready, and I'm ready to endure to the end to see that those things that for so many years and decades that have been wrong are made to be right, not just for me, but for the future of Baytown as well. Baytown has changed so much over the years when you look at the demographics. And honestly, it's a wonderful place, but we have to be thoughtful of those who occupy a space with us. And let's consider this. You can go into the inner cities of, let's take HISD, for example, and let's consider the names that are given to schools like Phyllis Week, Barbara Jordan, and you will come to see that there is such a great divide between how people of color have approached the naming of schools and institutions in a way to where there's almost universal agreement and universal acceptance that those being named or chosen are individuals who are who are beyond reproach. And so I think there needs to be a equal and fair playing field when it comes down to consideration of the community as a whole. Let's be thoughtful. Let's be mindful of those that we lift up in a way that we memorialize. And there's just so many tests that Robert E. Lee fails when it comes down to consideration of a person that would be memorialized on a public place. Mr. Craven, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences as a Baytonian and the wonderful knowledge that you learned from your grandparents and how you've carried on that legacy of being a trailblazer. It is amazing. Thank you so much for doing that and sharing your words and your experiences. And it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Baytown Engage. Be sure to subscribe to our show on Podbean, Apple, and Spotify. Stay tuned.